Thank you so much, Chun, for leading us in our service, and thank you, Sealing and Musicians, for singing. There was tremendous, uplifting songs. All agree? You must agree. Because as part of glorifying God, we are supposed to encourage each other as we serve Him. My name is Pastor Chris, for those who are tuning in, and we are preaching through this series of messages from First Peter. And the theme we want to address today is children of God or children of the world. And so we begin by asking, how are our relationships? And actually, the relationships that we have are barometer of our spirituality. And specifically, we want to ask about how relationships between parents and children. Children, we know, on the one hand, can give us the greatest joy in life. On the other hand, children can also cause the deepest sorrow in our lives and break our hearts. And we need to ask the question along the line as parents, are children a blessing or a burden? Or worse, when things get really rough in our relationships, are children not simply a burden but a curse? Tom Hanks is perhaps one of the greatest actors of the last two, three decades, Hollywood. And uh, he's married to Rita Wilson. And they are model marriage in Hollywood for a long time. Their son, Chet Hanks, has been dealing with drug addiction for a long time. In 2015, he checked into rehab. As he came out, he got in trouble again. As he got in trouble again with drugs, one day while he was driving, he crashed. He hit another vehicle. And the driver is now suing the Hang family for physical and emotional injuries and for letting their struggling son drive their car when he was under the influence of drugs. And sometimes a lawsuit like that could, could finish you, could bankrupt you. So are children a blessing or a burden? Closer to home here in Asia, we have Jackie Chan. In any movie that he acts in, Jackie Chan battles all odds. One man against ten, one man against a hundred. Nothing is too difficult for him to solve. Except in real life, he can't solve his son called JC was sentenced to six months in a jail in, in Beijing, busted with 100 grams of marijuana in his apartment. Loss of face, a loss of money is one thing. In and out, different ventures the son has gone into. But loss of face for Jackie Chan because he was appointed as the anti-drug ambassador by the Chinese government. And then you could think of your own family and your own children. You had the most sincere prayers and goals for them. And how on earth did their teenage days turn out to be so bad? Where they parented by Google and parented by social media and parented by friends out there became more important than all your years of godly Christian prayer and parenting. And now they decided this whole inherited religion called believing in the gospel, believing in Jesus, is a nonsense thing. Are we children of the world or children of God? There is perhaps nothing more tragic and nothing more saddening and piercing to our hearts than children who misuse their privileges, children who go from inheritance to being disinherited in life and society, children who go from Riches, and in these two cases, 
material riches for the hangs and material riches for Jackie Chan to Rex. And as we listen to these stories, read them, read them at arm's length, we might shrug our shoulders or hold our heads in our hands. How on earth can such children born into such families waste such privilege, throw away such inheritance when the rest of us are struggling through school and struggling through life to go from wrecks to riches? And they want to go in the opposite direction of riches to wrecks. First Peter was written by an apostle, which means a messenger of the Lord Jesus. And it was written to Christians spread all over what we call Asia Minor in the first century. And what was the heart of his message? The heart of his message sent by the risen Lord Jesus was, please don't squander your spiritual inheritance. Please don't squander your blessings. Please don't squander all that God has given to you, done for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Even though everything in your earthly circumstances scream and shout that you are far from the privileged people of God. And his simple message is really this. First slide is here. Peter's message to them, you are spiritually rich. Please don't live as spiritual paupers. And in what ways were they spiritually rich? You're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They're born again to an inheritance that's imperishable, that can never spoil or fade. They're blessed by God with this whole thing called salvation. They are now, we are told, in the last part of this chapter, they are now made, turned from enemies of God to become children of God, given the right to call God Father. Think about it. And as their circumstances shouted at them, what was their circumstances? What were they facing? Let's remind ourselves. In all likelihood, they were facing this. Let's try this. Remember from two weeks ago when we introduced this? They were accused of wrongdoing. They were reviled. They were insulted in chapter 3 verse 9. They were slandered. They were maligned. They were accused as criminals because... Living under Jesus made them increasingly politically incorrect. Religiously incorrect because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. There is no other way to God. They are socially incorrect because there are things that they will not do. But as they live so differently in a world, they are trying to make sense of their increasing opposition. And the opposition and persecution to them was not empire-wide. As we said, it was sporadic. But just because it's sporadic, please don't take it to be nothing. As I said two weeks ago, if you live now as an Asian in New York, you walk around the streets of San Francisco or any city in, in America, simply because you're Asian, you could be the source or the carrier, the perpetrator of this Wuhan Chinese virus, alive, perpetuated. And for no rhyme or reason, they could smack you. For no rhyme or reason, they could curse you. It's not dependent on your age. Old Asian men get hit. Old Asian women get hit. What do you call those kind of incidents? Sporadic. There is no law in America, the land of the free, that you should go around bashing Asians, coloured people. There is no law. But is there sporadic persecution? If you are, you've got Asian kids, they go to a school, they may be slandered. 
They may be accused. And just because it's not empire-wide, you've got to realise this. This was now, the incidences were increasing. The tolerance of these incidences were increasing. The normalisation of these incidences were increasing. What? What was the normalisation? The bad mounting of Christians and the bad treatment of Christians. And once we normalise that, it's the beginning of the end, my friends. And so, in facing all those things, they have to sort out what we learn in Exodus. Thus say my circumstances, we are considered as spiritual scumbags on the earth. Increasingly, we are treated like outcasts, we are marginalised. Increasingly, we are opposed and persecuted. Or do I listen to, thus says the Lord, Thus says my Lord Jesus, thus says the Word of God, thus says this epistle that we just received, that we are the elected people of God, the chosen people of God. We are living as God's diaspora. We are actually the favoured, privileged people of God. But my living circumstances, my daily experiences tell me otherwise. So do I listen to my circumstances or do I listen to an invisible Lord? It's very human to listen to an audible voice. It's very human to be traumatised by people whom you can see and hear. It's not very easy to be uplifted, to be encouraged, to be spurred on by an invisible Lord who's supposed to be Lord of the universe. But I can't see Him. I can't feel Him. I can't feel Him and see Him in the schoolyard in the playground, in my workplace? Where are you, Lord? Peter writes to assure them, you are spiritually rich. Please don't be tempted and seduced to be spiritual paupers. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what your experiences. This is not experiential faith. This is covenant-saving faith. And so it begins with this. With that background, we are persecuted, but we are privileged. We are small in men's eyes, but big in God's eyes. We are shamed by the world. We are special to God. If you are a believer in Jesus, and you may be living in, I do not know, a country that just hates you simply because you, you are Christian. I don't know where it may be. It could be here as you go to school. It could be in Indonesia. It could be Afghanistan. It could be Pakistan. But it happens, friends. And when you live in those circumstances, we are very small in the eyes of the world, but we are very special to God. And so an outline of this portion could be, from chapter 1, verse 13, is God's call to be holy. And then from chapter, two, uh, chapter 1, verse 22 to the end of it, is to be loving. And then from 23 to 25, to be born again. And how what it means to crave and long for spiritual milk that will keep us growing in our Saviour and our salvation. It's telling us, Peter is telling us on God's behalf, be different to all the nonsense that's happening to you. You can't make sense of it. Don't sit down to work it out. Sit down and listen to the gospel. Sit down and be gospel again and again. Then your life will turn out to be for God's glory. So, 
Verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you read this with some care, you'll know this portion at verse 13 begins with the theme of hope. He's spoken about this living hope in chapter 1, verse 3. And this portion in chapter 1, verse 13, will end at verse 21, and it says this, Who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. So you know what I'm about to teach you, right? Something we say very often. This portion from verse 13 to verse 21 is sandwiched with the theme and the teaching of hope. And he actually introduced this as living hope, which tells us any hope that we have in this world, any hope that we have humanly, earthly hope, is actually a dead hope. A dead hope. Because these hopes rise and fall with us, and every hope you have dies anyway. All human hopes are death, dead hopes. But the hope we have in the resurrected Jesus who came back from the dead is a living hope. So who is hopeful now? The whole of the UK is now hopeful. And it will be decided on Sunday on that side, Monday morning for us here in Asia. The whole of UK is pumped up with eager hope. Hope has two dimensions, eager and confident. So there is eager, earnest hope among all Brits, right? among all the Britishers, that they would indeed win this Euro Cup but we said hope has two dimensions, eagerness and confidence. But what is the confidence that they might win this? I have no idea. I pray and hope they win, right? Because we were colonized by the British, we, flat, we, have, we, have, we speak English, oh yeah, a little bit of affection, we don't speak Italian, we eat Italian food, so we are rooting for the British. But Italy has had more experience in the finals, both in the World Cup and the Euro, and humanly speaking, their confidence is higher. For us as Christians, our eagerness, our confidence is rock solid because of Jesus Christ. It's unshakable. That's what he's saying. So in the light of this, friends, how should we live? He's going to call us to two things. In the light of this living, unshakable hope, Though day by day you face increasing persecution and opposition, increasing accusation and slander and malice, you live with this hope and there are two callings. Be holy, be loving. Be holy, be loving. And so, by God's great mercy, by Jesus' death and resurrection, we have this living hope. And He calls us, and the first thing He tells us to do, right? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But he who call you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's go backwards and, pre and explain this. The first thing is, prepare your minds. The actual language, original language, which is Greek, actually say this, gird up the loins of your mind. And gird up the loins of your mind, for those of us here in ARPC, that's the language of Exodus, the book that we just did. And what is it? So in the ancient world, the, the men wore long clothings, right? And when you are 
call to action. There's a fire, there's a robber, we got to run. When they had to run away from Pharaoh, they had to roll it all up and do. So I wear the sarong because I grew up in Malaysia, I still wear the sarong to sleep. Do you know how to wear a sarong? So that it doesn't fall off? When you run after something in action? My God's grace, I went a few years to go to, to Myanmar. And Myanmar, the national costume is this thing, which we call in Malay, the sarong. It's rock solid. You can pull it. You can pull it. It doesn't fall off. If you know how to... And when you roll it up this way, you are, be prepared, is the message in, was the message in Exodus. Be prepared to be set free from sin. Be prepared to be set free from sin. So, run as far from sin, run as fast from sin. And Pharaoh at the time was the symbol of human oppression. But by the New Testament, run as far from Satan and sin, run as fast from Satan and sin, because he's going to deal with Satan in chapter 5. Peter's going to deal with that in chapter 5. So God has an exit plan. And he tells you, to be prepared to live this way. I don't want to tangle with sin anymore. I don't want sin to tangle my life anymore. So God has an exit, exit plan for, for sin. Do, do you have an exit plan for, for sin day by day as you wake up? Then in thought and word and deed, do you have an exit plan from, for, for sin today, tomorrow? Or do you wake up each day and you have an entry plan into sin? In, in fact, you have an investment plan to sin. In fact, you have a growth plan in sin, in thought and word and deed. Be prepared, gird up the loins of your mind, is get ready to live, to leave your former life of sin and live a life that is now pleasing to God. Then he throws in the word, being sober-minded. He's going to use this word three times in this letter, be sober-minded. And so if the first one, prepare your minds, is be spiritually awake, be spiritually alert to God and the things of God, fulfilling Jesus and His rescue plan. Be spiritually alert to that. Don't be lazy with that. Then be sober is stop being lazy against what? Of course, the first, whether it was first century or this century, please stop being intoxicated with drunkenness. But it's more than just physical drunkenness. Please stop being intoxicated with all sorts of rubbish that goes that you feed your mind with. Stop being lazy against any and all mental intoxi intoxication and addiction. Formerly, when you were unconverted, we are very prone to do what? Formerly, before you came to know God through Jesus Christ, you were very prone for your mind to drift. You were a mind drifter and a time waster, and a life squanderer. You and me, before you came to know God, you were a mind drifter, you were a time waster, and a life squanderer. That's the description of God in His Word. So when we increasingly allow the things of this world to mess up with our minds, you heard that, that phrase, right? Mess up with our minds. And they were so thankful that Donald Trump was no longer president because his tweets from morning to night, kept messing up the minds of people. Right? What's messing up with your minds? When you allow the things, your minds to drift, you increasingly lose focus on God, on Jesus, on the living hope, 
on the inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, on your salvation, you increasingly become mindless. If you become increasingly mindless, you become increasingly, if you drift in your mind, what might happen to your life? If you become increasingly mindless, you will be increasingly careless, reckless in your life. The two things are totally tied together. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is the first line of defence and your last line of defence. It's the renewing of your mind that really matters. It's that same word, be sober-minded, there in verse 13, is used by Peter in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, the end of all things is near. Be sober-minded and pray. So there's an ending to your life. This is not just going to go on. You die and born into nothing, die to nothing. It's not a life of nothingness. No, friends. There's a sure ending. It's called the coming of Jesus Christ to save His people to judge the world, to invite His people to heaven and the rest will go to another destiny called hell. It's a very important distinction. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Be sober-minded and pray. So sober-mindedness has to do with prayer. And then in chapter 5, verse 8, that we'll look at in about six weeks' time, he says, be sober-minded, be alert. Hey, I haven't done this for a long time, you know. I used to do this in the early part of our preaching here 30 years ago. Wake up. Be alert. Your enemy, your devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for chun to devour, wen to devour, suling to devour, jo to devour, so you roughly know who is here, and Chris to devour. Be sober-minded so that you can take your stands against the devil. You only have one enemy in life, don't make anybody else your enemy. More about that later. Your number one enemy in life is the devil. And all that comes about from you and me being spiritually alert and razor sharp spiritually, be sober-minded so that your mind will not drift. When you're mindless, you're careless. When you're mindless, you're careless. So a brother in Christ sent me something on TikTok. I know nothing about TikTok. I didn't know what to watch, but you know, you, have you watched something on TikTok? Yes, everybody's on your TikTok. You're way behind Pastor Chris. Now it's TikTok, whatever it is. Just this girl in Singapore, and she's just renting, having a bit of a rent. And her rent was, uh, yeah, she's dating this guy, and he calls himself a Christian. And every time they date, for every date, they will end up sleeping together. And then after that, he will just confess and ask for forgiveness in front of her. She's not a Christian. And this pattern repeats all the time. And she goes on TikTok to say, can you just work out whether you, whether you really are like that, a Christian or not? Lah? Because I'm so confused. Eh? That's the kind of Singaporean accent we have, Singlish. When you're mindless about this, you become careless about this. And please don't call yourself a child of God if you are doing that. Please don't. Because you bring great grief to God. Great dishonour to God. Yes, it's TikTok. 
but it's painful, friends. So, are you spiritually alert? Are you sober-minded? And then there's a phrase there, fully on the grace, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And linguistically, this grace is what they call a present participle. So literally it says, you, you live this way, right? You're spiritually alert, you're sober-minded, and you, you will take part in this grace. This grace is being carried to you. So if you understand Peter carefully, Christianity is not you going look, you looking for grace. It's God's grace looking for you. That's totally different. If you live this way, it's sure when Jesus comes and the fullness of His grace is revealed, He, he will not miss you. The world will dismiss you, but Jesus and the grace of Jesus will not miss you. And so sometimes, you know, pre-COVID, you may have gone to third world countries, and as you go to third world countries on holidays as a tourist, you may go to from village to village um, and, and tour places, and then you're waiting for your bus. Or like me, you grew up in Malaysia, you wait for your bus to come, and then it comes, and when the bus comes, guess what? It's totally full. You wait a half an hour for this bus, it's totally full, guess what? The bus doesn't stop, it just passes you by. You know, <laughs> the grace bus will not miss you. Grace will come and grace will pick you up. That's the life you have in Christ Jesus. Grace will not forget those who hope in God, be prepared and are sober-minded. Though the world thinks we are scumbags, you will not. And so, through the years, right, it happens very often in Asia, less so maybe in Singapore, we like to think of ourselves as first world. But sometimes we still see it, right? The, the bus is there, the bus stop, and then you're... No, the, you know the bus driver spotted you. You're running after the bus. He accelerates, leaves you behind. So you're two ways to miss this grace bus. One is too full. Two, he doesn't care. When the Lord Jesus comes, that's not going to happen to us. Aliens and exiles in this world, he's not going to miss us. Right now, we're receiving a whole heap of the world's scorn, a whole heap of the world's slander, a whole heap of the world's accusation, when this grace comes, it will stop to pick us up. You will be part of that. And so he goes on to what? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As he who call you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So the big thing here, as you live with this unshakable hope secured for us through Christ's death and resurrection, inheritance kept in heaven for us by the power of God and we are shielded by His power as we have faith in Him, what's going to happen? You are called to be holy. What does holiness mean? Holiness has two parts to it. From the Old Testament to New Testament, it's the same message. The first part is separation from the world. Separation from unholiness. And after you separate from holiness, you are now dedicated or devoted or consecrated to God. That's what it means, right? And so, separated from the world, consecrated to God. Separated from the world, consecrated to God. 
I was listening to a message and the, the preacher was giving this illustration. When he wa watches his wife cook dinner for him and his young children, she takes the vegetables, she takes the meat, she chop, 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 and uh, cut, 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 all nicely, put one side. All this for cooking. You don't just buy the bok choy and you don't just take the kangkung and say, throw, give it to your husband or children, right? Eat. You have to cut it, chop it, slice it, dice it to make it acceptable and palatable to who you love. The word holy in Hebrew has a sense of cutting. You cut yourself off from this world so that you are made palatable and acceptable to God. Separation, consecration, separation, consecration is very important. So who is this God? He is holy. And you will never get to know Him. You will never be allowed into His presence unless you have been made holy. That's His point. And now that you come to know this God who is holy, you have to live up to your new passport, your new, your new status, your new identity. I am a, I'm a holy person of God. Made holy not because... I ran after God, but God ran after me and gave me His grace in Christ Jesus, poured out His great mercy to me in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. So this is the language of show some family likeness. Show some family likeness. God is holy. You who belong to Him, you have to be holy. Show some family likeness. Don't just say it. Like the girl who went on TikTok and my friend sent that to me. Calls himself a Christian and goes to church. We've heard this testimony many times. Christian leader. Oh my goodness, for the life of me. Does this ask for confession? Does this... Uh, there is no family likeness there at all. I wouldn't call that person a Christian. Oh, church goer, yes. Ministry doer, maybe. Bible study leader, possible. Elder, deacon, pastor, totally possible. But child of God, zero chance. Because there's no family likeness. There is no cutting. There is no making palatable and acceptable to a holy God. There's no living out of that new status. So as you live now, are you experiencing that transformation? That some things in your life you're getting rid of. Some things in your life you're taking on board. Some things of the world, some things of Satan and the world, you are really hating. And the things of God you are really delighting and longing for. If that transformation, if that struggle is not carrying on in your life, you must sit carefully and reflect whether you can call yourself a child of God or you just presuming yourself to heaven which is no way to get to heaven. It's not salvation by presumption, it's salvation by affirmation. And so God is called Father, Abba Father here. But this Abba Father, how did you become children of this God? If you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Basically, He's telling you to shift fear no longer live with the increasing paralyzing fear of what the world thinks of you, says of you. In live with the liberating fear that God has now given you permission to be His children 
and to call him Abba Father. That's so important. A father who is also a judge. Doesn't grace cancel out judgment? And doesn't judgment cancel out grace? No. Grace makes us more accountable to our life. Grace doesn't make us spiritual laggards, doesn't make us spiritual sluggards. It's costly grace. And how do you know that? Because he's going to tell you, you actually became children of God the Father because you were redeemed or ransomed by the blood of Christ. So it's separation from the unholy, consecration to the holy God, and it's the awe of God, the fear of God, the liberating fear of God that will keep you going as his exiles in this world. No matter what the accusation, no matter what the opposition, no matter what the persecution. So that's how we get on to this. And that's what it means for us to live out this hope. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. So they were transferred from one status to another status, one sort of living to a new sort of living. And sometimes in life you ask, hey, how, how did you actually arrive here? Actually, you know, how do you arrive? I, I know you, you're very bad in sports, right? How on earth do you arrive at the School of Sports in Singapore? You can't draw for nuts. How on earth did you arrive at Sota? Well, the School of, of the Arts here in Singapore. There was a huge scandal in America. It's called the College Admission Scandal. And 50 people have been charged in participating in this. Where they engage in bribery, money laundering and document fabrication to get their children into the elite colleges of America. So they bribe athletic coaches to recruit the students regardless of their athletic ability and cheating on behalf on their behalf for exams. And the brain, the brains behind this was a guy called William Singer. And William Singer accepted about $25 million from about 50 parents, some of whom were well-known actors, actresses, businessmen, celebrities. And so they arrive at Harvard, they arrive at Stanford, they arrive at the Ivy League universities, by dropping the standards, by underhanded ways. God has invited you to his kingdom, not by dropping his standards of holiness. Because one way to understand the whole Bible in Christianity is this. How does a holy God save sinners without compromising his standard of holiness? Without dropping it? How does he allow us in who sinned from morning to night in thought and word and deed. He did this by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One, who took the wrath of God and cancelled our sin and gave us a new status. We didn't get in because of a college admission scandal. God didn't drop His standards, compromise His justice to get you in. He paid the price of His Son to get you in. And all of us shelter under the umbrella of Jesus. That's why you must separate and you must consecrate. 
because it cost Jesus his life. He shed his blood. And this concept was again in Exodus, where God told them, I'm going to set you free, I'm going to set you free. You gird up your loins, you'll be prepared to leave your life of, of sin, you'll be prepared to go and worship God on the mountain, you go. But all you, what, what you must do, not all you got to do, you must do, because the wrath and the judgment of God will come upon Egypt and Idris firstborn. And the only way you're going to be spared is do a very, huh? Unthinkable thing called kill an unblemished lamb and then take his blood and spread it on your doorpost. And when the spirit of judgment comes upon Egypt, you will be spared. There was only a shadow of the reality. A forerunner of not the shedding of an animal's blood, but the blood of God's Son. A lamb without blemish or spot. So how can... That's why in that one passage, in this same pack of verses, you can call God Father and yet He will judge. Is this salvation judgment? No, this is probably sanctification judgment. As you go in, please don't ever treat this as cheap grace. Please don't ever treat this as cheap redemption. It's costly. Ultimately, incomparably costly. So how dare you do time with God? How dare you go back to the life of vomit when God calls you to a life of purity? How dare you drag your feet with the things of this world when you have the delights of God and heaven? That's the challenge, don't you think? So that's the language that is here. He goes on. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable to the living and abiding word of God. So if the first calling of God is a call to be holy, show some family likeness. The second calling, or the follow-up to this, the addendum to this, is God's call to be holy is a call to be loving. Because the holy God is also a loving God. And you will read from the first verse of First Peter, chapter 1, verse 1, God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just let me read that to you, right? To the foreknowledge of God the Father, to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. All three persons of God was involved in redeeming us from our former way of self-rescue, our former way of idolatry and immorality. And so, God's call to be holy is God's call to be loving. And so, what kind of love is this? This love is described in four ways. It's firstly a brotherly love, a sincere brotherly love, and you love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now think about it, friends. If we call God Father, then we are constrained, compelled by the Spirit of God and enlightened by the Word of God to love one another as brothers. There is no such thing, all the apostles in all the epistles, First John will put it this way, you, it's not possible to say you love God who we cannot see, 
but you don't love your brother whom you can see. If we call God Father, we must necessarily, it's a divine necessity that we love each other as brothers. And it must be sincere. The word here is unhypocritical. Without a mask, it must be earnest. And it must be from, a, from the heart, a born-again heart. Everything here is important, friends. So Jesus' love is love that is flown in many languages. You read this with some care. They say maybe most of the churches here that he was writing to were mainly Jewish Christians. But they were not exclusively Jewish Christians because in almost every letter, the church that the letters were addressed to would have Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. They had no love lost for centuries. But now through the blood of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus and continuing work of the Holy Spirit, they can sit in the same service. They can join the same DG and say we love each other because we have the same Father, because we have the same Lord who died for us. And with the same Spirit, sanctifying us for obedience to Jesus Christ. The theme of obedience is very strong. And so, friends, this is it. And what may be the barriers to this? The barriers to this is, friends, it's very hard to love across the races, don't you think? From the macro level to the domestic level. Ask yourself, what is so hard about love? Aren't we having a discussion here in our parliament about that? Should we actually cancel our ethnic integration program for housing? Every country likes to think that their constitution and their anthem speak about being race-blind or race-neutral. But when push comes to shove in day-to-day -day living, we all have... How do we deal with each other as races? How do you deal with each other as blacks and whites and yellows? How do you deal with each other as Malays, Chinese and Indians? a very simple way to deal with each other, Jews and Gentiles in the first century, and now racial and class, is to caricature and label each other. And what's caricature? All Chinese are like that. All Chinese are money-minded. They are shrewd. They will kill you for money. All Indians are like this. All Malays are like this. All Australians are lazy. All Americans are laugh ma then you carry on with caricature, we don't watch it, you domesticate it a little bit more. All men are like this. All women are like this. I like to say this in my marriage, I married a Chinese, but with di different dialects. All Hokkien's, my wife is a Hokkien, all Hokkien's are a bit loud, sometimes a bit rough. Bigger word, stronger word, a bit crude. All Teochews are refined. We are refined people. Everything we eat is changing. What do you call that? It's a caricature. It's a label. Lightheartedly, it's just like that. But when push comes to shove, friends, don't forget they were facing external persecution and opposition and then you are gathered as the church to face this suffering on the outside. You've got 10 different views in your DG group. So you've got internal bickering how to face external suffering. What do you call that? And the simplest, you know, something happens in your house. Then a crisis breaks out in your house. Say your, your child falls. Who reacts to that child who fell first? Cut himself. 
Okay, so let's say Mona responded first. I'm slower, and then she says to me, "You are always so slow." <laughs> what do you call that? I stand there dumbfounded. Yes, maybe I'm so slow. I've gotten used. That's my label. That's my caricature. And could it be that? In dealing with external suffering, I've got, we've got 10 different ideas how to do it. And we label this Jewish idea is wrong, this Gentile idea is wrong. We, we deal with each other in this way, friends. And it's very easy. Because caricaturing people and labeling people boxes them in. Gives you a handle of them. You don't have to love them. You just have to label them. You don't have to love them. You just have to label them. And that's the problem, friends. If we call ourselves the people of God, who belong to God, our Heavenly Father, then we love ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, purchased by the blood of Christ. It must be unhypocritical. We don't conveniently, simplistically caricature and label each other. It must be, it must be sincere. It must be from a new born-again heart. And so one writer put it this way, David Paulison, is a wonderful counsellor, written marvellous books on counselling. He's passed on and we miss his legacy. And one of the phrases he had was, Jesus' love is flown in many languages. If you put on Jesus' love, it's the language that you need. You know, when you put on Jesus' love, you don't need other languages. People know. 1 Corinthians tells us this, faith, hope and love, but love is the greatest. So is your, are your relationships filled with increasing divine love? The opposite of this is very real, friends. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that it may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Oh, I've missed a verse. Have I deliberately missed a verse? Maybe I have. Accidentally. So, what's he saying here? All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy. Let me run down that list for you. Let me find my notes. Okay? The list, let's go for malice. The Greek word for malice is kakia. It's, you have to get rid of every evil thought and action. Every evil thought and action, malice. Deceit is bearing false testimony, is false accusation and testimony that harms the other person. Hypocrisy is you masking your bad intentions by looking good. Envy, you know you can't rejoice and be thankful when other people are blessed by God. Slender is any and all speech intended to create and cast doubts on God-given blessing. Slander. How come true this? And it goes on. You put it all together. They are full of self and empty of others. Full of self and empty of others is actually Satan's work. That's what he asks you to be razor-sharp and sober-minded about. So here are the inhibitors of love. Here's all the contrary things about love. So instead of searching our hearts for malice, searching our hearts for deceit, searching our own hearts for hypocrisy and envy and slander, we spend all our time cross-examining our wife's heart 
cross-examining our husband's heart, cross-examining any other person's heart. When God wants you to search your heart, firstly, for that malice. Notice, Jesus in dying for us, harmed nobody, killed nobody. Everything here harms and kills neighbour. Every single one breaks the Ten Commandments. Every single one. That you shall not bring false testimony against your neighbour. That you should not commit adultery. That you should not dishonour your father. That you should not envy anything of your neighbour. Everything is in there, my friends. And so, you have to get rid of love inhibitors. Is that you? Is that me? What, which of these love inhibitors do you need to confess and repent of? So in our Bible studies, we have now gone application obedience heavy. In our discipleship groups, we say spend no less than 30 minutes asking yourself as you read this passage, oh yes, we're called to love. What kind of love? It is family love. Show some family likeness to God. It's brotherly love. It is unhypocritical love. It's sincere love from a born-again heart. And one of the things you've got to put away, you've got to put away all these things, friends. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Then we will know we are children of God. So, here in Singapore on the macro level, it has become quite sensitive and quite bad. Where a former lecturer of a tertiary institution of a polytechnic he had a rant and a rave against a couple of another race. He's lost his job. He's issued an apology. From the macro level to our domestic, it's so important that we get rid of all the personal love inhibitors because we are addicted to being hate promoters. That's us in our former life. Satan is only flown in one language. And Satan's love language is to hurt and harm neighbour. To be unloving in thought and word and deed. And we're going to find that in chapter 5. Jesus' love language, his love language is flown across all races, all classes, both genders, all ages. That's why the Church of Jesus Christ is race blind, is class blind, is gender blind. All that matters is Christ ruling our hearts. And how do we get on this path? God's call to holiness is God's call to love. Ever so often, we get something like that. For weeks and months on end, I want a divorce, I want a divorce, I want a divorce. There's no other way but divorce. And all of a sudden, through all that prayer and all that journeying and all that, hang in there, look to Jesus. Hang in there, look to Jesus. Absorb all the duds, absorb all the, all the accusations, absorb everything. And ever so often, boy, my spouse has changed their mind. No longer want to divorce. No longer want to caricature. you always like that. You'll never change. You're always like that. you never change. That is caricature and labelling. I've boxed you in. 
There is no hope for you, Chun. There is no hope for you, Chris. You'll always be like that. As long as you believe in Jesus, as long as you hear the gospel, the very heart of the gospel is change is possible. That's the very heart. So we never relate to each other by caricature and labelling anymore. You relate to each other through Christ and in Christ. It cancels all barriers. The Church of Jesus Christ, ideally, in its highest calling, is the only gathering of people who can say we are truly race-blind, we are truly gender-blind, we are truly age-blind, we are truly blind to all human barriers that divide us, because Jesus has cancelled them all, friends. So listen to the language. You must never underestimate the size of your malice. You must never underestimate the size of your deceit. You must never underestimate the size of your hypocrisy, the size of your envy, the size of your slander. And make what is yours other person. And I can tell you, as a Christian leader, right, for me to have survived all these years, so much of that begins in people's hearts. We go out with, with no other intention than to bless you from morning to night, from beginning to end. And somewhere along the line, when we preach the gospel word and live a certain way, you come back with venom at us. For the life of me, who do I turn to? For the life of me, who do I turn to? Never understand the size of this. You turn to Jesus. Who never killed anyone or harmed anyone to save us. And so Peter is going to say that. You don't retaliate. You absorb it all in. You turn to Jesus. You download him. And you can take moments and moments of this oversized malice. This oversized deceit this oversized hypocrisy that people throw at you, this oversized envy and slander. So he ends this way. Like newborn infants, you long for the pure spiritual milk that it may grow up into salvation. You may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So friends, babies, like newborn babies, by that Peter is not saying in some, some of the epistles, when he refers to newborn babies, he's calling them, Paul is calling them immature. But Peter is not saying, you are immature. Like newborn babies, if they are really born again as children, they'll be longing and craving for milk. So as children of God, you'll be longing for the Word of God. As children of God, you'll be longing for the Word of God. Let me just pause there. It sounds so cliche, right? Let me look across the board. In the past week, have you longed for the Word of God? I'm not sure. I really am not sure. And so by God's grace, I've, I'm a grandfather now. Our grandchild is uh, coming up to three months, I think. And I've not held a baby for that long in such close proximity in a long, long time. Right? So what do you know about babies? How do babies crave or long for milk? How do babies crave or long for milk? God wired into babies. Babies know from birth, milk is for my survival. I live if I have this milk. I die if I don't. It's wired into a baby. You know, babies don't need to have a committee, a Presbyterian committee. Do we need milk? They don't need to have a round table discussion. They don't need a United Nations convention, to a think tank to think, do I need milk? 
Milk is not an option. Milk is not a fringe benefit. Milk is not an addition. Milk is the very stuff of the children of God. You either feed on the Word of God or you die. And if there is no increasing desire for it, you wake up and you just want to read this. You just want to read this, another psalm. You just want to read another proverb. You just want to keep going with God's Word. It's not always like that. Even in the tough times, you say to yourself, speak to me in your Word, O God, speak to me. That's what it is. It's a first instinct. A first instinct. And so as you feed on this Word, God's Word is free. It says the pure Word of God is free from all impurities. And so you cannot claim, right? You cannot use God's word and then say, I'm reading God's word and hate each other. It's not possible that God is speaking your word, his word to you, to entrench you in your malice, to entrench you in your deceit, to entrench you in hypocrisy, to entrench you in your envy. It's not possible that God is speaking his word to you to entrench you in the language of unlove in day-to-day living. If you are reading God's Word and it's producing hatred and producing caricature and labelling of others, you are twisting God's Word. It's not the pure Word of God speaking into your heart. It's not. And so it's that newborn infants, you long for this pure Word that you may grow up in your salvation. You have tasted this. Keep tasting this and you will grow. So what does it mean for us? I've shared this a few times that we run a newcomer's lunch. And when this passes and we can resume the lunch again, we look forward to welcoming you to our home. Right? And one of the newcomer's lunches a few years ago, quite a long time ago, met this student who graduated, came back from America. Right? He wasn't a Christian. He was still looking. And I asked him why he was looking, why he was interested in church and Christianity. Because while studying in college in America, he met Christians. He was brought to church. And American Christians who had gone to adopt handicapped children who were orphans in orphanages, abandoned by their Chinese parents, adopted them and made them their own children. And he highlighted one example where this American couple already had one or two own children, biological children who were handicapped. But they went to China to adopt another handicapped child. And he said, all the children that he met who were adopted, though often, instead of being insecure and lost, were growing up very nicely to be very secure teenagers, just beaming with the love of God. And he met some of them who were older. They were doing great things. In the eyes of the world, they were children without parents. But through the preaching of the gospel and accepting of Jesus, they have become children of God. That's what it means. That's what it means to to change. You're so different to the world, so loving. And that's so different to sometimes in so many of our Christian circles. We call ourselves Christians, but no different to the past, no different to the world. And so much of the language of Satan, the language of hatred. What will Jesus find in you and me when he returns? It's a question you and I must answer. That you are a child of the world, 
our child of God. We're going to close with a song how good it is to belong to the people of God, the family of God. And how good it is to love each other. How good it is to live God's way. How good it is. But how terrible it is if we are too timing. There is only one way. Let's pray and the musicians to come and lead us in this. You are to be glorified. You are to be praised. Because you have ransomed and redeemed us from our old way of life. We thank you for giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him and through him, we have a living hope. In him and through him, we have an inheritance. In him and through him, we are privileged, more privileged than the prophets and the angels. In him and through Christ alone, we can call you Abba Father. And you call us to be, you call us to be spiritually alert, to gird up the loins of our minds, you call us to be sober so that we can take our stands against the evil one. You call us not to drift, to be mindless so that we become careless in our living. Please stop us in our tracks if we have begun to drift, to be spiritually loose and careless in what we allow to intoxicate us. You call us to this living hope and this living hope is to be lived out with holiness and your call to be loving. We pray that we are on track to keep separating ourselves from what is unholy and keep consecrating ourselves to you. May that struggle and that transformation take place in our hearts. May we not become mindless and careless and reckless and godless. And we thank you for your call to love each other with a brotherly love that is unhypocritical, that is earnest from a newborn heart and to put away the love language of the evil one, which is no love language at all. It's hatred, it's malice, it's deceit, it's hypocrisy, it's envy and it's slander. Oh, may we long and crave for the spiritual milk that will cause us to grow up in salvation. Hear our prayers, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.